This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 211, and we are recording on December 16th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hello! And our hot chocolate plans. Hot chocolate! (laughs) I am trying to find a, not completely non-dairy, because I'm using whipped cream, but like a non-dairy base hot chocolate that isn't milk that's like almond milk or coconut milk or something i tried it with almond milk it was gross my children didn't notice though Hmm. because they are eight and will drink anything that looks like hot chocolate i bet i could put milk and like dirt in a cup and give it to them and they'd be like this is amazing it has so much sugar (laughs) have you tried soy milk do you like soy milk I, I, when I was vegan as a teenager, mm. hashtag, of course I was, um, I drank a lot of soy milk and I think I traumatized myself out of fair, fair that experience. Um, but that was also like 15 years ago. I'm sure it tastes much better than it did. I mean, it does. In the I 90s. <laughs> yeah, I can vouch, but it still might not be your jam. Anyway, if you have suggestions for Amanda, <laughs> send them to me on Instagram. Hit us up. <laughs> All right, let's talk about books now. Uh, first, I will tell you how this show works. It is a weekly reading show, as I said, for personalized reading recommendations. You send us your questions about what you should read next or what your book club should pick up or what you might want to gift to a friend or a relative or whatever, and we will do our best to find you a good option. You can send those in either via email, getbooked at bookriot.com, or through the form on the website. All of the show notes have the form at the bottom for the show. And if your question is time sensitive, please, please, please put that either in the subject line of your email or the very first line of the form. We will do our best. If we're not going to get to it on air by the deadline, we will try to shoot you back an email. And if you've asked a question that has been answered before or if it's just been a really long time, I'm trying to get to some of the older questions. So keep an eye out for those. Uh, for feedback, we have a note for Katie, who was looking for quick own voices novels of disability. Uh, Kelly recommends Turtles All the Way Down by John Green, which draws on the author's own experiences of obsessive compulsive disorder. And then for Andrea, who wanted dark thrillers a few episodes ago, try Leslie Connor's The Weight of Chains about Giles DeRay, who was a historical serial killer. Mm. Justin says it is grim but worth the read. Mm. I know, I know. I'm not reading that. Just <laughs> um, like a historical serial killer from Joan of Arc times. Like wow. that's such a right. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So our first question is from Sneaky SJW. <laughs> same, same. Um, I mean, not so sneaky though. Right. right? No, you're right. <laughs> Who says, I'm looking for a book to gift this Christmas for a male friend of mine who is more than a friend but less than a monogamous significant other. Our relationship is mixed race. He's a white man and I'm a black woman. So I'd like to point him in the direction of a non-white male focused book. He likes nonfiction and autobiographies. I happen to know he likes and has read Marilyn Manson's book, The Long Hard Road Out of Hell, and he's a fan of Rob Zombie films. I would like to gift him a nonfiction book about an interesting person or occurrence. Also like to incorporate a social justice aspect 
and gift a book that is written by a person of color, LGBTQ, or disabled person, or impacts one or all of these groups in some way. All right, before we give our recommendations, let us hear about our first sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the critic Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. Amanda, what do you have for our sneaky SJW? Okay, this is going to sound maybe a little bit out of left field, but I picked We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha Irby, which hits all of the bases that you're looking for. And I picked this because I've read Marilyn Manson's book uh, when I was in high school. I've seen the Rob Zombie movies. And I think the thing that they all have in common, aside from being like kind of gross and, um, you know, by white dudes, is that they're just really funny. Like Marilyn Manson is surprisingly funny in his book. And Rob Zombie, I think, his whole shtick is about being edgy, irreverently, grossly kind of funny. And Samantha Irby is hilarious and is also kind of gross and <laughs> does a lot of the same sort of edgy humor that I think somebody who likes Manson and Rob Zombie will really enjoy, except without like blood and guts and church drama kind of stuff. <laughs> um, so We Are Never Meeting in Real Life is a collection of her essays and a bit of like a, it's like a memoir about the most random stuff. Like she talks about her IBS, she has a disability and it's IBS. She talks about like her experience taking a romantic vacation to Nashville to scatter her father's ashes and how that was a disaster because of course it was a disaster. Um, lots of her awkward sexual encounters. There's an essay about Costco, um, which is amazing. And like an essay about the bachelorette, which is also just everything is 
funny. Like, she's really, really snarky, very self-aware, um, which is another thing that the Manson biography, uh, or autobiography, I think, had going for it, is that he's, like, super aware of who he is in the world. Um, and so is Samantha Irby. They just happen to occupy very different places in that world, but they both look at it, I think, with the same kind of goofy, irreverent, but also self-serious, but also not so much self-serious kind of lens, which is such a weird, like, mental exercise to think mm. about. Um, but it's true. So, We Are Never Meeting in Real Life by Samantha the Irby. She wrote a profile of Lizzo for Time yes. that is amazing, by the way. Yes. This is it's the decade of Lizzo. Everybody, it is the gift that you did not know you needed to yourself. <laughs> okay. Uh, I picked What Are You Doing Here? A Black Woman's Life and Liberation in Heavy Metal by Lena Dawes. This I picked because I got kind of stuck on like the goth metal vibes <laughs> of this uh, Rob Zombie Marilyn Manson fan. And this book is fantastic. It's not terribly long. It's like 200 pages. And it is by a Black woman who loves heavy metal and has felt very uh, out of, like a fish out of water in a lot of the spaces. And it's a really interesting examination of both how she felt like she could be 100% herself in the metal community, but then also how she had to sort of leave race at the door. And that obviously doesn't work. And also her gender, you know, because being a female in heavy metal spaces and hardcore spaces are really is also particularly fraught sometimes. And it's just so like personal and interesting. And I don't know, she's a great writer. And it's kind of like you're talking to your smart friend at a bar and she's telling you all these stories about like you know, going to concerts and what it was like, but then also thinking about why it was like that in a little bit of a meta way. And I just found it incredibly readable and really interesting. And yeah, it's, and it, hopefully it's not too, uh, I mean, it's not that sneaky. Let's be obvious. Like, I mean, let's be real here. This is kind of obvious. Like, it's not that sneaky. But I thought that if he likes to read about those scenes, mm -hmm. that might be enough to get him in the door. And it's it really is great. It's so good. It would be a fun read along together if you had any interest. So again, that's What Are You Doing Here by Lena Dawes. Okay, our next question is from Casey, who says, I'm looking for a romance or erotica, I'm flexible, to break my reading slump. NaNoWriMo is a hard time for me to read and almost always throws me into a slump and then holiday stress, and I like starting out the new year, getting ahead of my reading goal. For slump breaking, I'm looking for lighter romances, queer main characters prefer, gender is fake, so I don't care pairing-wise, and if it's part of a series that I can marathon, even better. Some of my favorite romance authors are Tiffany Rice, KJ Charles, Avon Gale, Aiden Wayne, Jacqueline Carey, Courtney Milan, Alicia Rye, Lisa Cole. She lists a whole bunch here. Um, okay, so I picked, because of course I did, Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston. <laughs> Look, it's my last one. We give ourselves three wrecks per book for a year. It's my last one of the year. Also, this is our last show of the decade, and I'm going out on a Casey McQuiston whatever boom thing. <laughs> Anyway, so you should definitely read this one. It's a gay romance about the first son. So the son of the president, his name is Alex, and his romance with Henry Harry, I never get that right, Henry in the book, who is based on, maybe not officially, but definitely obviously, uh, Prince, the real Prince Harry, who is now married to Meghan. So in this universe, Alex and Henry are frenemies, mostly just enemies. When the book opens, they are at um, a royal wedding of um, Henry's brother, I think. Um, they get into a big fight, like a physical fight, uh, and then both of their respective political PR machines go into overdrive, trying to make it look like they're actually best friends, so we can avert any kind of 
you know, political repercussions of the first son and a prince of Wales getting into a giant fight at a big public event. So they have to, like, go on a couple of trips together, do the Graham thing, pretend to be buddies. They exchange some emails um, to start planning this. But the more that they hang out, the more they realize that, that they have actually a lot in common. They start to get really close. You can see where this is going. The complications are, of course, that they are both really big public political figures. Um, Alex is bisexual, and he is... He's, is he in the closet? Yeah, he's in the closet. Henry is gay and very in the closet. Um, and Alex does not necessarily want his relationship with someone who is not, you know, like a cisgendered heteronormative woman to be out in the open during his mother, who is her, his mother's reelection campaign. She's running against a Republican who's running on a family values platform. And Henry has a lot of family pressure to not come out because of like tradition and all that kind of stuff. So that that is the big wrench in their relationship. But their emails are so sweet and also super sexy. Um, it's a very steamy book. There's not a lot of fade to black. I loved it so much. My favorite, favorite, favorite. Please go read it. Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuist. <laughs> it's the last time I get to talk about it in this decade. I'm real bad. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, I picked Small Change by Rowan Parrish, which I think in terms of like lightness level is closer to like Alicia Ryan, Courtney Millen. So like not super light, but not super heavy either. Uh, and this one does contain discussion of suicide, although nothing actually on the page. Uh, and this is about a tattoo artist in Philly, a bisexual tattoo artist who falls for the like adorable lumber baker down the street is how I'm gonna say it. Ginger is the tattoo artist and she is a total badass and she's an amazing artist and she's got her own shop and she's got an upcoming art show and she's just really trying to hold it all together. Her shop is slammed because of some recent publicity and she's just like trying to be a small business owner slash woman slash badass artist in the world which is a lot. And this guy has opened up like a sandwich shop down the street from her. And she goes in one day for coffee and is like, oh, hey, cute. And then he like shows up at her work and brings her a sandwich. And you can imagine what happens from there. Oh, I loved it so much, y'all. And it takes place in Philly, which is awesome. And there are like serious issues here. But it's really interesting the way that Roan Parrish plays with the gender dynamics. Like nobody in this book is a cookie cutter male or female person, and especially because Ginger is bisexual, like, there is some really interesting looks at how, like, how gender dynamics do influence our interactions, but also how people exist outside of those. And I really love when a romance that's, like, mostly just like, oh, how are they going to make it work also gives me that kind of food for thought. I just love it. And it is part, there's two books in this series out right now. And then it is like, Ginger is the best friend from Parrish's other series, Middle of Somewhere, of which there are three books out. So if you like it, you can fall down a whole rabbit hole of romance, which is never a bad thing. Uh, so yes, I, that is my vote for you. Again, Small Change by Rowan Parrish. Okay. The next question is, from Ellen, who says, I'm requesting this for my husband, who has very different tastes than me. We have a trip planned to Spain in January. He would like to learn more about the history of Spain. He's wanted to for years, but hasn't been able to find the right book. He's read Name of the Wind by Carlos Ruiz Zafan. His preference would be for a nonfiction audiobook, but I think a good historical fiction, especially a saga spanning centuries. Uh, and also, it doesn't have to be an audiobook. Please help. What do you got, Amanda? 
Okay, I picked uh, The Battle for Spain uh, by Antony Beaver. The subtitle is The Spanish Civil War, 1936-39, to so it is about the Spanish Civil War. Um, I picked this because, uh, well, for a lot of reasons. Antony Beaver is an amazing historian. His book about Stalingrad called, wait for it, Stalingrad is one of my like favorite histories of uh, World War II. And this book was super famous when it came out. It was like a bestseller in Spain for months, like a number one bestseller in Spain for months. And it is, of course, about the outbreak of the Spanish Civil War and um, the history of like leading up to the war. And when the 70th anniversary of the war came around, they put out a new edition of the book, which is the one that I recommend. It's got new resources from Russian archives and a bunch of other historical sources that were not available when he first wrote it. And it isn't just about, like, you know, the battle by battle kind of thing that a lot of histories of um, wars are, but it's also what led up to it several years leading up to the Spanish Civil War and then how the Spanish Civil War led into World War II in a lot of different ways. Um, So consequences of the war causes all of that. And the reason why I'm picking this for somebody who is going to Spain is because I went to Spain a couple of years ago and spent a while in Madrid, and it was super weird how no one talked about the Spanish Civil War. Like, it wasn't in any of the museums I went to, including a museum about the history of Madrid. There was nothing about the Civil War. And when I went to a couple of bars and got, like, so I went to, I stumbled upon this, like, expat bar for Irishmen, weirdly, and asked them about it. All of them had been living in Spain for over two decades, and they both, all of the men that I talked to were like, yeah, it's weird. Like my my wife's family refuses to talk about their family's participation in either side of the war. Um, it's just like a thing that Spanish society likes to pretend did not happen, and like nobody wants to talk about it. So I wish that I had read anything about the Spanish Civil War before I went to Spain because it was really hard to find anything about it in like just the general touristy pop like culture stuff that you do when you're visiting a country um and it was such a big deal other than you know going to see Guernica the big Picasso painting like I just could not find anything about it so that's why I picked this so that's the battle for Spain the Spanish Civil War by Anthony Beaver Interestingly, the book that I picked, uh, based on a bunch of research, addresses that very question, is why don't people talk about the Spanish Civil War? It's The Ghosts of Spain by Giles Tremlett. And this is, so Tremlett lived in Spain for 20 years, and also noticed nobody talks about this, like, why not? And uh, basically wrote a whole book, or, you know, traveling around the country to dig into the reasons why nobody wants to talk about it. And, you know, it gets into the history, but it also very much gets into the, like, current situation or the post-Civil War situation and, you know, the psychology and the culture and the sociology around what it is that people are trying so desperately to avoid talking about. Uh, so this is like the next step after you've read the Anthony Beaver, kind of. We didn't do this on purpose, but <laughs> no. kind, of, kind of perfect. And uh, and when I was looking, I was like, oh, man, that sounds so heavy. But what was interesting about the reviews of this, like everywhere that I looked, people were like, oh, it's so accessible. And like, you know, it's it's kind of it's almost light. Like it's and I don't think they meant it in a way that he's treating the subject lightly. I just think they meant that the book doesn't feel like a slog. It's very very readable, but also on a very important subject. So again, that's Ghosts of Spain, Travel through Spain and oh, Travels Through Spain and Its Silent Past by Giles Tremlett. Man, I'm not, I'm glad that was not just me. Like somebody yeah. had to write a whole book about it. Yeah, it wasn't just me whole book about being it. in Spain being like, what is what is wrong with you people? <laughs> like, yeah. why is this such a thing? Um, but it is a thing. Okay. 
All right. Our next question is from Michelle, who says, my husband and I have booked a trip to the Pacific Northwest on a whim today as flights are cheap and coincide with our eight-year anniversary. We love to pair our travels with good books and turn to Book Riot for recommendations. We are QPOC scientists. I'm a paleontologist. He's a geographer. Love to be outdoors and love learning about history. Would it be cheating to ask for one rec for each of us? A nonfiction nature book for my husband and a historical fiction for myself would be ideal. Bonus points for graphic novels, romance, multi-generational sagas, and QPOC authors. Okay. I picked Pachinko by Min Jin Lee for you. It is a multi-generational saga, um, really multi-generational, about a family's history in Korea. So the main character's name is Sunja. She, well, one of them. She's a teenager. Um, it opens in like the early 1900s. She's the daughter of a fisherman who is disabled um, and has a really, really great relationship with her father. But he dies pretty early on in the book. And then she becomes involved with a wealthy stranger who is like visiting the seashore near her home where she lives with her mother running a um, kind of hotel. Um, and he promise, you know, makes all the promises that a wealthy dude makes to a young, beautiful, impressionable girl. She gets pregnant and then she finds out that he's married and he offers to set her up as his mistress. She refuses. Um, and instead of doing that, she accepts an offer of marriage from a minister who is staying in her and her mother's hotel, who's passing through on his way to Japan. He has, um, what does he have? Tuberculosis? And is very, you know, sickly, but like wants to help this girl who's in a really tough spot and is willing to raise her child as his own. So she agrees to do that. So she goes to Japan with him. Uh, they get married. And that decision is what sets off this like big multi-generational saga. So she rejects this like really power man who turns out to be not just wealthy, but like very, very powerful um, and goes to Japan where Koreans are not treated well, not treated as citizens, barely even treated as people. And so you follow the effect of that on her and then on her children and then on her children's children. It's not a light read and not necessarily something I would like on a whim pick up to read on vacation, but it is super, super fast paced and very engrossing, even though it's big. It's almost 500 pages, but I read it really quickly. It's won a bunch of awards. Um, and I think that especially if your flight, which you mentioned, um, you bought tickets as long, it's a great thing to read on the plane because it will just you will get wrapped up in the story of each of these characters. And I cared really deeply about every single person in the book, even the people I wanted to punch in the face, which is a lot. <laughs> so that's Pachinko by Min Jin Lee. Amanda punches fictional characters. That's just, that should be the title of the show. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this is not the first time we've had those feelings. The first nor the last. <laughs> no, exactly. It will not be the last. Uh, so I have your nonfiction nature book selection. It's On Trails by Robert Moore, who is gay, but white. Sorry, not both. And this is a fascinating book. I did this as a read aloud, and it was so much fun and so interesting. And sort of the big picture context of the book is that Moore has through hiked the Appalachian Trail and is, you know, thinking about trails and is like a science minded dude. So he starts thinking about like, what does it mean for something to be a trail? Like, what is what defines a trail? And he goes into, like, the trails that ants make or snails make or, like, the trails that bacteria make and then, like, the trails that, you know, 
humans have made throughout times, everything from footpaths and hunting paths to, you know, highways and superhighways and then the Internet. Like, these are all trails in some way. And so he looks at science and history and philosophy and nature writing, and he goes around and interviews all of these different people and talks about this, like, one Victorian dude whose, you know, living room was totally covered in snails because (laughs) he was a Victorian scientist and that's what he felt like doing. (laughs) And there's so much interesting science and science history in here. He writes really beautifully about being in nature. There's one chapter where he's wandering around sort of an urban like environment with this guy who just has chosen not to live in a house for the last however many decades, like years and years and years. Like he just permanently is camping out around. And like, why would somebody choose to do that when they have other options? Like, what is this guy doing? And so, yeah, it's fascinating And it's just really interesting. I think there are some parts of the book that are better than others. Like there's sections I thought that were stronger than others. But like as a whole, it's totally readable, totally interesting. You will be full of like those did you know facts. And it really changed the way that I think about moving through nature on a trail. And like every time I go hiking, I think about this book. So I think it's kind of perfect for what you're looking for. And again, that's On Trails, an exploration by Robert Moore. And it is time for our next sponsor message. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest-paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang. So this is an interesting love story. It's great for fans of Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow and High Fidelity. It's set in the mid-90s at NYU. And it follows young Wang, who has gotten the advice of love through Chinese numerology from his uncle. So he believes that he will have seven great loves in his life. And then he meets Irena in 95. And she's like the best. She's brilliant, charismatic, quick-witted, funny. They fall in love. But the thing is, she's number six. So if he is to have seven great loves, does that mean his time with Arena is going to come to an end? So this is a love letter to Western pop culture, Eastern traditions, and being a first-generation New Yorker. Make sure to check it out. And thanks again to Flatiron Books, publisher of 888 Love and the Divine Burden of Numbers by Abraham Chang for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so this is a big one from, uh, we do not have a name here, 
uh, that has asked for. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to sum up. Okay, so one is for 17 year old cousin, not a big reader, hasn't liked the book she's been assigned in school. She plays sports, likes makeup, sings and acts in school productions, and is in junior year of high school thinking maybe a graphic novel or something quick and easy. So that's one. Do you want me to go ahead and do it? Oh, that's a good idea. Let's let's break it into parts. Okay, so what do you have for that? Okay, so I, for a 17-year-old who is not a big reader but likes acting and, you know, sports and stuff, I picked Miss Marvel, the first volume, um, by G. Willow Wilson and Adrian Alfona. Alfona? Hmm, question mark. The first volume is called No Normal, and this is a graphic novel that collects a comic, so it's the first, um, I think it's the first five um, of in the run, the first five comics in the, in the Ms. Marvel run that G. Willow Wilson was doing. Um, and I picked this one because it's about a teenager. Like, it's about a high school student who finds herself super powered all of a sudden through circumstances outside of her control and has to navigate that. So Kamala Khan is her name. She lives in Jersey City. She's like just a very normal kid going to school. She's got friends. She's a little bit nerdy. She likes fan fiction and um, the Avengers and like all that kind of stuff. And then she, I don't even know if I, like, I'm not going to get into how she becomes a superhero because not relevant, but she becomes a superhero. And gets this power to embiggen herself, like to make herself either very big or very small. She's got super strength. uh, And so she takes on the Miss Marvel uh, mantle and starts defending her town from bad guys. But while she's doing all of that, she has to also deal with like her parents who expect her to be home at a certain hour and like do her chores and attend family functions and also school where she has to be there on time and take tests and study and go to gym. So how do you balance all of those things um, and not lose your sense of self and also keep your identity a secret and also not tell your parents because are they going to understand that you have superpowers now? And also are they going to let you out in the middle of the night to fight people who are violently trying to kill you? Probably not. But she feels, you know, a responsibility to do something with these abilities that she's got now. And as the um, collection proceeds like as you get out of volume one into the later volumes she goes on a lot more adventures some of them aren't in the u.s some of them are abroad and it's just a really really great um collection of comics i think for somebody who isn't super like especially a teenager who like isn't a big reader because there's so many pop culture touchstones in it she's a 17 year old girl in jersey you know so she's interested in lots of very normal things that a 17 year old girl would find relatable there's a lot of like reference like social media is all throughout um the book in ways that even i am like i'm an old and i don't understand that reference but a 17 year old girl would (laughs) understand that reference you know and that's because they're made for that audience so that's ms marvel no normal that's volume one and it's by g willow wilson All right. Cosign, by the way. Okay, so the next one was, I'm looking for a book to give to my cousin who's 27, has high-functioning autism and ADD. He loves dreaming up and drawing twisted fairy tale stories slash creatures, especially loves Alice in Wonderland, doesn't have the patience to sit through a young adult novel, but maybe a graphic novel with limited text would be fantastic, especially as it might inspire some new creatures for him to draw. Do I ever have a graphic novel for you? It is Space Battle Lunchtime, Volume 1, Lights, Camera, Snaction by Natalie Rice. This is so much fun, and it is literally a cooking reality TV show in space. A baker named Peony gets, you know, sort of plucked off the street by an alien who came in for a coffee order to be on this, you know, reality cooking show. And like, she didn't even know there were aliens, first of all, like that was like a surprise to her. And now she's on 
a space reality TV show. But she is determined to figure it out and do her thing and bake some stuff. And there's maybe shenanigans going on behind the scenes of people trying to, you know, get their competitors out of the way. This is not Great British Bake Off. This is like, <laughs> you know, some of them are not nice. But it's full of amazing creatures and really fascinating, like, technology. And I think that, you know, this idea of like, oh, he loves creating worlds. He loves drawing. Like, this is going to inspire so many interesting drawings, I think, and will give him some new sort of context. Like, there's, you know, the mythology fairy tale aspect is really awesome. But like the idea of like, you know, blending the modern and then the space bits of life, I think is really fascinating as well and might give him some new inspiration. And the art is fantastic. And I've read this book with like both as myself and with younger kids and with other people who have less patience for this. And everybody's been pretty entertained. So again, that's Space Battle Lunchtime, Volume 1 by Natalie Rice. Okay, and then the last part of this question was for a book for my sister-in-law. She's in her early 20s, living in L.A., goes to film school, started directing her own films, would love together either a coffee table book or a biography about women in film who are not actresses or a book about becoming a woman in the workforce. Manda. Okay, I picked something about the workforce. No Hard Feelings, The Secret Power of Embracing Emotions at Work by Liz Fosslein and Molly West Duffy. So you mentioned that she is going to be in the position of overseeing her own cast and crew and is pretty young um, and maybe hasn't doesn't have a lot of managing, management experience. So this book, No Hard Feelings, is written by millennials and is for millennials who are starting to enter the workforce both in management positions and in entry-level positions. So this is both for people who need to figure out how to have appropriate boundaries but still express themselves emotionally in their jobs, and then also for people who need to manage people who are learning how to do those things. And so I think for someone who's pretty young and is maybe starting off on a management career, especially in a creative field mm. where, like, there are a lot of feelings. <laughs> this would be really, really useful. I've, in my experience, um, I don't know, like uh, something that ki kids, oh my God, I'm 35. Something that people who are getting into the workforce right now that I've, I've noticed, especially with like my foster daughter, is that they don't have these kinds of skills. They don't have, um, they're not taught boundaries that work with their feelings. They either have way too many in ways that are very uncomfortable, or they don't express themselves and their feelings at all because they think they're being professional. But in reality, they're just like cutting off a lot of lines of communications to their colleagues and to their bosses. So helping people figure out how to navigate that, like, if you're mad, how much do you show that you're mad without being unprofessional? And how do you differentiate the situations where it's appropriate to show that you're angry and where it's just not, there's like no point. That kind of stuff can be very difficult. Again, like I said, when, especially when you're dealing with creatives who are who can become very defensive and emotional about their creative work, understandably. Um, but like, how do you manage that? So that's No Hard Feelings by Liz Fosslein and Molly West Duffy. Okay. Um, our next question is from Stacy, who says, I'd like to read more big books, the longer the better, to force myself to slow down and get immersed in a story before moving on to the next shiny new book. I've got a few in mind, like War and Peace, The Luminaries, QT84, and A Suitable Boy, but would love some more suggestions, preferably by women or authors of color. I'm open to any genre of fiction, though I prefer my sci-fi and fantasy on the softer side. Some of my favorites of the last few years are A Little Life, Long Way to a Small Angry Planet, Homegoing, and Lincoln in the Bardo. Okay, Jen. All right. I picked Terra Nostra by Carlos Fuentes, uh, translated by Margaret sayers Peden, And I picked this book because it is mind-blowingly weird. 
and really long. It's like 800 pages. And if you want to be forced to slow down by a book, this book will force you to slow down. It is a sort of non-linear epic that covers like 2,000 years of our history, but primarily European and Latin American history, uh, and really sort of zeroes in on the uh, 1600s and the 20th century and looking at like the the invasion and conquest of America by the Spanish conquistadors. And it is just so strange. <laughs> it's so <laughs> surreal. Like it moves around in time and space. These things happen and you're like, is somebody dreaming this or is it really happening? And then it'll get really specific and crisp and you're like, whoa, it's all happening. And then you're back to this sort of dream narrative and it is just a mind boggler. And I'm so glad that I read it. I kind of wish I had read it with a group because or like with a guide or something because I you know haven't I don't really have anybody else I didn't have anybody else to talk about it to and now I just have like you people to blab at <laughs> about you know which is not the same thing as actually getting a good discussion in but there's so much to think about and talk about here and Fuentes is like a very well-regarded Mexican writer um I can't remember if he was an award winner but like heavily influential and 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 this was his like big magnum opus you know sort of his like it's like the Mexican Finnegan's Wake kind of situation so again it's weird it's not linear and it will definitely force you to slow down. I think it was worth it. I'd be very curious to hear from other folks who have tried it and and whether or not it was worth it for them. Super, super interesting, super weird, super fascinating book. So again, that's Terra Nostra by Carlos Fuentes, translated by Margaret Sayers-Peaton. Okay, so in my second edition of Books People Wish I Would Stop Talking About, <laughs> I'm going to recommend Duck's Newburyport by Lucy Ellman to you, um, which I am still reading. Of course I am. I'm never going to be done with it. I'm never going to be finished with it. <laughs> it's just a never ending. So it is about a thousand pages. It's eight sentences. It's the internal monologue of a housewife in Ohio while she's baking. And that is just, that's what it is. <laughs> like It is fascinating and so good and so hard and just the longest and most never-ending thing. Um, if you are in any way a maximalist in literature or in anything, I think this is something you should try. Um, it definitely forces you to slow down to the point where I can't read more than 10 pages at a time um, because I start to get confused. I started to get like, wait, where, what were you talking about? Um, which is kind of the point, right? Like the whole idea is that you're in this woman's mind as she's doing something meditative with her hands, making something, making um, a pie that she doesn't really have to think about because she's done it so often. Uh, and so her mind wanders. And it wanders everywhere. Like she thinks about her cancer diagnosis. She thinks about her her mother quite a bit and her husband, her children. She has four kids, I think. The way that her teenage daughter seems to suddenly hate her. And like, why is that? And all the things that you think about when you're not doing anything and your brain just goes somewhere. And I, I don't even think that this character is supposed to be like aware that, she, that her mind is wandering. She thinks about politics and gun control and Donald Trump and like all of this kind of stuff. I, I mean, it's very Joycean, you know, in that way of like, Ulysses when what's his name wanders around town for a day and you're just in his head you know it's very much like that except a woman <laughs> who is at home make baking and for some reason 
it's it's like more fascinating because you know in Ulysses there are breaks where he interacts with other characters you get other characters heads you get in his friend's head you get in his wife's head um and in Duck's Newberry part you never leave her mind and I I don't know if later in the book maybe she stops cooking and like goes and does something else but I don't think so I've not read any reviews that indicate that she's ever doing anything except standing there cooking this pie for this whole thousand pages um and it is it's really it's difficult but you get it's one of those reading experiences where you get a few pages in and you have that realization of like like this is a once in a lifetime reading experience i will take this to my grave so i can't stop but also i can't read more than a little bit at a time which i think is kind of perfect for the thing that you're asking for so that's ducks newberry port by lucy ellman all right uh last question is from nicole who says i was hoping you might have suggestions for books related to greek mythology i just finished reading circe by madeline miller and loved it reminded me of how much i enjoy greek mythology and i've been craving more ever since when i was younger i also really enjoyed all of the percy jackson books and how they transplanted the greek gods into a modern day setting do you have any recommendations for other books that are similar to either of these i will keep talking so this is like the dark dark, dark (laughs) version of what you've asked for, which may not be for you. And I acknowledge that. But just in case it is, I'm recommending Wake Siren by Nina McLaughlin. And this comes with trigger warnings for rape, incest, assault, and other violences, particularly against women. Because what Nina McLaughlin is doing is retelling Ovid's metamorphoses with like modern day sensibilities and sometimes modern day characters and settings, but not all the time. It's really interesting. She is taking sort of story by story. So there's one about Arachne, who was a weaver who got into, you know, a weaving contest with Athena and then got turned into a spider or, you know, Daphne, who got turned into a laurel tree because Apollo was pursuing her. Uh, And so, you know, all of these stories or Atlanta, who got turned into a bear. Uh, So it's these these stories of these women and what they were running from or trying to accomplish and, you know, just reinfuse them with her own twist and it's fascinating and it's kind of rough i'm not gonna lie like the originals are sort of bad enough in that they don't actually call any of these things what they are um but it's very clear uh in if you read them you know what's going on and so nina mclaughlin is making that explicit uh but she's doing it with like there's occasionally some really dark humor i loved the arachne story so much i'm not done yet because i am taking this one little by little because it's a lot uh but it's so well written and the way that she's playing with modern language and sensibilities but then not removing these entirely from their original context is absolutely fascinating to me. I think she's walking a really interesting line and doing it well. And uh, so again, you know, darker for sure than the Madeline Miller, (laughs) definitely darker (laughs) than Percy Jackson, but but still really interesting. And if if that appeals to you, you definitely want to check it out. So again, that's Wake Siren by Nina McLaughlin. So I came at this from kind of a weird angle. I didn't pick something that's a retelling of a Greek myth. I picked The Mirror Wife by Maria Davina Headley, which is a modern gender-swapped retelling of Beowulf, which, as I'm sure we all remember from middle school, is an (laughs) old English epic Anglo-Saxon tale. Uh, I think it's poem. I don't remember. Yeah, it's poem. Um, And so in this modern retelling, it... Uh, Grendel's mother is reimagined. Oh, and I should give a trigger warning. There is war and rape. 
uh, in this book. Um, the So Grendel's mother is a veteran who has returned from the war in Iraq, or is she in Afghanistan? I don't remember. Um, and so she comes home after having been kidnapped by insurgents and raped. So she comes home pregnant. She gives birth to what is the monster, you know, from Beowulf, uh, Grendel. And she holds them up in a old underground railroad station that's outside of a place called Harrett Hall, um, where all of these like very wealthy, white, upper, upper middle class people live. And they're like perfectly manicured lawns. All the houses match. Everything is perfect. Everyone has really good security systems. They don't know that in the mountain, in their backyard, in an abandoned train station, this woman is living with her child. Um, So Grendel, as the monster, uh, comes out and befriends one of the boys who lives in the um, neighborhood. And Willa, who is the wife of Roger Harrod, who is like the person who's going to inherit Harrod Hall, um, sees that happening and sees this like terrifying monster child uh, come and, and um, threaten her kid. And there's this all of this, you know, drama and shenanigans that ensue. And if you've read Beowulf or are familiar with that mythology at all, then you know kind of where that ends up. The story is bonkers. Like it's bonkers because <laughs> Beowulf is bonkers, right? Like you can't get away from how violent and dramatic and and just weird and supernatural and creepy that story is and if you translate that to someone with ptsd living like who is homeless functionally and caring for a child and doing everything she can to protect her child from the outside world and all of this systemic oppression that's that are that would like destroy functionally her kid um and then place it in like super uptight white middle-class suburbia what would that look like and that's this book um and so that one of the things that i really loved about circe is that you take somebody who in the original myth is functionally a victim and give them a voice and some agency that's what this book is doing with grendel's mother who in beowulf has no agency is the mother of a monster and who is murdered you know is destroyed by this hero with a sword um and so what would the story look like from her point of view so that's the mirror wife by maria davina headley and that's our show Wahoo! We always manage to end on a really dark note. On a really dark note, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Thanks, 2019. (laughs) I don't even know what to say about that. Thank you all for listening. We wish you all a very happy holidays. We will be back after the New Year break. In the meantime, if you are so inclined to give us a holiday gift, you could leave us a rating and or a review on Apple Podcasts. We would just love that. It helps other people to find the show, and we do love to see the feedback. Thank you to today's sponsors, and you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I'm Amanda Nelson. And I am on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, and on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And we'll talk to you in 2020. 